don't you do this? Let's jump in. If you have a Bible, which I'm sure you do somewhere with you, um, whether it's on your phone or in paper form, and open up with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. Before we get there, though, just a shout out. Hey, thanks for a few of you that have, uh, you know, the, the chat has been dominated a little bit by my mustache being shaved. And I just want to say thank you uh, for the encouragement because uh, Heather's sitting here too. And I just she just needs to hear that the mustache should just be around, you know, more than just a couple weeks in November. Can I get an amen? Amen. She's going to walk out the room. It's all good. But I really just thank you for your encouragement with that. I appreciate it. Um, many of you guys know every year, uh, for a number of years, we would, in the summertime, go to Heather's parents. Uh, for years, Heather's folks owned uh, a place about two minutes from the beach just outside of Sarnia. And so on the weekends and any time, really, that it got warm in the summer, we would travel up the 402 and go to Bright's Grove uh, to the beach there. And uh, it was our little spot, our little piece of heaven on earth. And they've moved closer since, so it's so great to have them close. But we do miss having the access to a house near the beach. But, you know, every year, classic, every year we would get in the water as a family. We'd be playing in the water. And I'm sure this has happened to you. Um, over time, as we're playing in the water, and of course you have the pink flamingo, the classic token pink flamingo floaty in the water, and the hoverboard skimming the shallow water, and we're playing together, we would realize that we could not see our stuff anymore. We would look to the beach and realize, like, wait a second, either somebody has taken our stuff or we have drifted down the coast without knowing it. And of course, every time we would look and there 25 feet or whatever up the coastline was our lawn chairs and, and, every, and our stuff on the beach. And so the funny thing is, it didn't matter it, at times, even if we were aware of that, we would continue to do it. A 25-yard drift and then we'd realize we have to wade back towards our stuff in the water. And I'm sure this has happened to you, but uh, this has always stuck with me as kind of a, just a, a reminder of how easy it is to drift as humans. And you know, one of the things we've been talking about is that the adversary, the Satan, in our moment, and I don't want this to become like, I know we talk about this a lot, I don't want it to become just something we talk about every single week, but I think to put before us the reality that one of the ways the adversary wants to work is he wants us to slowly drift. Like my family at the beach, losing our anchor point in front of our stuff, I am more convinced than ever, and I know we've said this a bunch, that I'm not sure that Satan wants us to like get into this deep, dark path. And we sometimes think of the extreme things in our lives, the extreme roads we could go down. I don't think he's necessarily concerned about that as much, even though I think he would desire for anybody to kind of go down that road, as much as he would want us to continually drift. And this is one of the ways the Satan works, the adversary and the powers and principalities, I think, work the best in Western culture. And so this is where we've been. Here's what I want to do. I want to read a little bit, actually, before we get to Galatians chapter 5. I want to read a little bit about what Screwtape writes to Wormwood. If you're new with us, welcome. We're so glad you're here. We're in this series talking about the adversary uh, the enemy. Um, and one of the things we've done is we've taken C.S. Lewis' book and we've just been sharing little snippets of his book. It's a book about a guy, it's satire. It's about a guy named Screwtape who's a senior demon and he writes uh, Wormwood, this understudy, a junior demon. And that he writes him about how they're going to deceive this Christian. 
They're how they're going to deceive this, this, this guy away from the kingdom of God. And listen to what, I don't want this to be like all about the screw tape letters, but as I was peeling through it again this week, listen to what screw tape writes Wormwood. Listen to how pertinent this is for our moment. Screw tape says this, obviously you are making excellent progress with the Christian. My only fear is lest in attempting to hurry the patient, you awaken him to a sense of his real position. So I think Screwtape is saying, we don't, want to, we don't want to hurry this so that he comes awake to what we're actually doing and deceiving him. He goes on, for you and I, Wormwood, who see that position as it really is, must never forget how totally different it ought to appear to him. And then listen to what Screwtape says. He says, we know that we have introduced a change of direction in his course, which is already carrying him out of his orbit around the enemy. What we're doing is this little change of course. And then he goes on. But he must be made to imagine that all the choices which he, all the choices which have affected this change of course are trivial and revocable. And so one of the things Screwtape is saying is all the little decisions that we seem to be working to, to make this human kind of pivot away from the kingdom of God and away from the church. We, we don't want him necessarily to be aware of it. And we don't want him to think that these little decisions that he makes day in and day out don't really matter. I mean, that is just our moment. The little things in our thinking, in our practice. If, if, if we, I think one of the things that Satan wants to do, the adversary wants to do is if we could get the humans and especially the Christians to think that those little changes in behavior or even little things in their posture towards the kingdom of God, if we could change it little by little and we could get them to see that those little things don't matter, this is how we're going to get them. He goes on. He must not be allowed to suspect that he is now, however slowly, heading right away from the sun on a line which will carry him into the cold and dark of utmost space. And then he goes on. Crazy. I know this is a bit of reading, but this is so, so interesting. Screwtape says, For this reason, I am almost glad to hear that the patient or the Christian is still a churchgoer and a communicant. I know there are dangers in this, but anything is better than he should realize than the break he has made with the first months of his Christian life. Crazy. So Screwtape is basically saying like, listen, we have this guy, let him go to church, but also let him break away from some of the things, some of the commitments that he made on early in his Christian life. He goes on, as long as he retains externally the habits of a Christian, he can still be made to think of himself as one who has adopted a few new friends and amusements, but whose spiritual state is much the same as it was six weeks ago. Or, Screwtape says this, I gather in their little plan to deceive the Christian, I gather that the middle-aged married couple who called his office are just the sort of people we want the patient to know. Rich and smart, superficially intellectual, and brightly skeptical about everything in the world. And then he says this, one last little quote. 
Well, I could do this all day, by the way. You should just read the book probably. Screwtape says, you seem to have made good, good use. So he's talking to Wormwood. You seem to have made good use of all the patient's social, sexual, and intellectual vanity. Now, again, we could read all day in the strategy in which Screwtape is using with Wormwood to deceive the patient. And I think this is helpful actually to make us aware that it is the slow drift away from the anchor point, which is Jesus. It's not for us, I don't think in our moment, it's not for us this radical walking away. It's the slow little incremental things that we, and I'm talking to myself here, I'm not just, I'm not just getting on some soapbox and preaching to you, I am talking to myself. It can be the slow, subtle little things in our lives that turn gradually turn. And one of the things that Satan wants to do is he almost wants to make us unaware. And of this just whole process of, of turning. Now, this could spawn in a whole bunch of different ways, but you know, I grew up in the church and I've often heard this term, the flesh. Have you heard this before? You know, one of the things historically that Christians have talked about is in this kind of spiritual battle as the spiritual forces are at play like we've been talking about is that Christians and all humans but Christians who are made new in Jesus continually battle the flesh. You know this word flesh and we're going to read it here in Galatians 5 is the word sarx in Greek and it's got a multiplicity of layers to the word. It can mean different things in different times. And we have English words like that. You can think of English words that have the same, they sound the same, but they mean different things. Sometimes the flesh or sarks simply means our bodies. So sometimes you'll read it in the New Testament, you know, we, are, we have a body or we are the body. Sometimes the Greek word for that is used in its, in its form is sarks. Or sometimes it means and, and is describing our ethnicity. Uh, so you have your body, you have your ethnicity, and then the way that Paul often uses it and the way he's actually going to use it here in Galatians 5 is he uses the word flesh in a very unique way. And in some ways, really the way he's using it is describing what some would call is our sinful nature. This is the language I think actually the NIV uses. I think the better understanding for flesh is this idea that the flesh is our disordered desires. I think that's probably the best way to think of it. Our disordered desires, our broken desires that are bent away from the wholeness and peace in God and towards ourself. And I know we don't like to use this word, but towards our own rebellion, our disordered longings and desires that every single human has. And this is what Screwtape is playing at. Let's get to the human or the patient or the Christian. Let's get to his or her loves. You can tell in the dialogue, the slow, subtle way is we're going to corrode the love for God and his kingdom and Jesus. And we're going to slowly through intellect and sophistication and the really uppity couple, get him around the really uppity couple that uh, is sophisticated and smart and, you know, eventually kind of corrodes at this idea that somebody could do something as foolish as following a Messiah and especially following somebody who isn't here like in flesh and blood. And you can sense that this is the way in which screw tape works. And I think one of the things we've just got to look at is this battle with the flesh. So then you get to Paul. 
And one of the ways in which Paul deals with this idea of the flesh, uh, a significant passage of scripture is actually Galatians 5. Now, before we read Galatians 5, Cam's throwing it up. Thank you, buddy. This is great. You can see here, before we read Galatians 5, one of the things that Paul is dealing with in this moment with this church in Galatia and the region there is that there's these, there are these people called the Judaizers. There's no test at the end of this, but it just helps frame what Paul is dealing with. These Judaizers are Jewish people who have become Christians, but their thought is that if Gentile people who aren't Jewish are going to become Christians, they must enter into certain Jewish practices, which Paul called works of the law. In specific, and I know it's weird, you're like, I logged in here on a Sunday morning, why would we ever talk about something like this? But in specific, specifically, there were probably two things that these Judaizers wanted these new Gentile Christians to do. One is to be circumcised. I know, it's in there. You know, we talk about it a little bit. I always think, what an interesting new Christians or, or new persons class to church that would be. You know, like, hey, this is the pathway into our church. You just, you know, you just got to be circumcised. It's, it almost seems humor, humorous to us a couple thousand years later. But this was a big deal, if you know the Old Testament, in the Jewish line. And so these Judaizers really anticipated that these new Christians would become, <coughs> whoa, sneeze out of nowhere, would become um, Christians and they would enter into this. And the other thing that I think these Judaizers Judaizers really thought is that these new Christians would enter into some of the kosher eating laws. And Paul is dealing with this and breaking this down and basically writing to these churches to let them know, beware of these kind of people that want to put this and place this on you. And in it, he begins to talk about the work of the spirit and the flesh. Let's read it together. He says this, Galatians 5 verse 13, you, my brothers and sisters, We're called to be free, but you do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, you serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. What is it? Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say this and Paul says, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of your heart. For the flesh desires, that word sarks there, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you were led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, things like sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. Paul is just basically listing everything here. Selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. And Paul says, I warn you as I have before and he did in other letters that those who are like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So he puts that before them and then he juxtaposes with this, but... The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. It appears here that 
for Paul, the antidote to the flesh, to Sarks, to this, to these disordered desires that all of us have is by living in the spirit. You know, all of us within us. And Paul, even in the scriptures, had his own moments where he wrestled through this. And I'm sure you're like this too. Dude, I do things I don't want to do. I do, I act out in ways that seem, even deep within us, seem contrary to ourselves because this is what we have. We have these disordered desires. We have uh, the propensity to live in the flesh. But, you know, the antidote to the flesh is living in the spirit. Not by obeying the law of Moses, Right? Not by living, and Paul's very clear with the church here, not by like living as though they've got to do all the Jewish identity marker stuff from the Old Testament, but rather he argues that God's people are marked by the Spirit of God rather than the law. This is who we are. We are marked by the Spirit. And as the adversary kind of wants to work within us, we, I think a passage like this, instruction like this from Paul, is really the things that we need to bear down on and kind of receive as a community today as something that would lead us in understanding that we can, as Christians have for millennia, we can be these people that fight the flesh. And listen, we are in a culture, and you know this, I don't need to remind you of this, that is over-sexualized, over-powerized in power, money, and status. Um, I think of the things that want to draw our attention in our kind of cultural moments. We need the reality that Paul is laying before us, that the Spirit is available to us, and we can be people that walk in the Spirit. The way to fight the flesh is to walk in the Spirit. So listen, this is what Paul does. Really simple. This is what he does. First, he calls us, and I say us, because as we pick this up a couple thousand years later, I believe it's for us more than ever. He calls us to the life of freedom from the flesh. We can have this. We really can. And that life is, and this idea of living in freedom, it does not mean indulging in the flesh, but it means living in love. This was Paul's main idea, is that you, my friends, get to live in love. You don't have to live in the flesh. Listen to what he says again. You brothers and sisters were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Interesting that Paul attaches this to love here, that we are these people that live in love. We don't have to live according to the flesh. So he calls us to live in the freedom from the flesh. Then he basically restates this call to freedom by a call to live life in the spirit against the flesh. Paul, again, was this guy that knew the battle that was going on. Verse 16, I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, very clear, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. And so, this call to freedom, true freedom, is not necessarily what we often say in our cultural moment. Things like this, I just want to follow my heart. As Christians, we know that uh, the heart can lead us to very interesting and even dark places. Paul counteracts that and reminds us that actually we're not people that follow our heart as much as we're people that follow the Spirit. And the Spirit is the one that leads us to truth. And there will be this continual battle between flesh and Spirit. But the way to battle the flesh is by walking in the Spirit. Then what he does is he eloquently, as Paul always does, expounds on life, like expounds on the life in the flesh. He gives examples here of what the flesh looks like in its working in our lives. 
sexual morality, impurity, debauchery. There's a word we need to bring back. <laughs> Idol- and I'm not making light of it, but it's just an interesting word. Idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, all of these things, these things are the life in the flesh. And then he counteracts, of course, he expounds on the life in the spirit. The fruit of the spirit is this, love and joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul says, against such things, there is no law. So those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified their flesh with its passions and desires. I always think, you know, when we, when we call people and we, we give them this life message, life-giving message of Jesus in the kingdom, you know, sometimes what we want to do is we really want to make it sound beautiful, and it is a beautiful story and message. But, you know, sometimes it's easy in our moment to kind of want to just like sugarcoat it. This is going to be amazing. And yet over and over we hear from Jesus and the writers of the New Testament, actually the way into life is by crucifying your flesh. The way to life in the kingdom of God is death. And as we talk about the adversary and his work in trying to kind of of manipulate and get us to drift, one of the things we need to continually build in our lives is a fight of the flesh. And this is by walking in the Spirit. Now, this is kind of uh, just really a simple idea, and I, I just want to leave us with this because I think it's something we need to wrestle through in just how we approach our, our spiritual lives and, again, kind of combating what the, the spiritual adversary wants to do. You know, I hear a lot of times, and this can kind of come through in a more Calvinistic way of thinking, that God simply ordains and does everything. He pulls all the strings. And I think that this kind of theology, I know there's all sorts of debates. It's more than just like a two-minute cursory talk on a Sunday morning about it. There's obviously more to it than even what I'm going to say. But I think there could be a danger in thinking that God pulls all the strings to the point where we don't think through our own agency and we don't think through our own actions in this process. You know, my concern would be is to think that God pulls all the strings, that he even ordains things like evil. And there'll be people that would say he ordains evil, but in the end it would be good. But that humans don't have really any agency in the whole grand scheme of things. You know, what's interesting here is four times in these verses, Paul uses verbs in describing how we as Christians are responsible to fight the flesh and guard ourselves from the adversary. Verse 16, he says, walk by the Spirit. Verse 18, he says, be led by the Spirit. And in verse 25, he says, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. And I guess one of the things I just want us to kind of drill down and think through on a day like today as we talk about the manipulation and the schemes is I actually think we have a responsibility to walk in step with the Spirit. You know, it is so easy, and we've seen this over time with people slowly drifting away from the church and the kingdom, that it's this slow, little, kind of subtle process day by day. But oftentimes, what I've, as I've kind of gone 30,000 feet, I think, and this is not a judgment thing, but just looking at circumstances that I've seen in ministry over the years, a lot of times people have not fought the flesh by walking in the Spirit. And I think there is a general, there is a general responsibility here that Paul would lead the church in and say to us, two, again, two millennia later, 2,000 years later would say to us, there's, there, there's part of us where it's up to us. 
yes, God does his work. And yes, I believe God is sovereign. Don't, you know, I absolutely believe that, of course. But I think there is a call for us to walk in spirit. I love the term here, walk in step with the spirit. This is how we fight the flesh. This is how we fight some of those disoriented desires that you feel and I feel every single day. It's a picture for us that the spirit is going somewhere. The spirit is about renewal and revealing Jesus and recreation and making us new. The spirit is on a trajectory towards the kingdom of God and towards Jesus. And I and you, all of us are called to walk in step with the spirit. And it may be a simple truth, but I just want to remind us that part of our walk as disciples of Jesus, part of us walking this out is walking in step with the spirit. One of the terms for the Holy Spirit is this uh, Greek term parakaleo. And it just simply means this, somebody who walks alongside. That's what the Spirit does for us. And I think of this union and this partnership with God, partnership with the Holy Spirit. We walk alongside God, but ultimately he walks alongside us with where he's going. And so if we open this up, we could talk about these disoriented desires, the longings, the desires within us. At times, all of us for evil and not good. But Paul gives us a plan here. The scriptures give us a plan here. As people who follow Jesus, we are these ones that walk in the spirit. And we've said from the very beginning, you know, I know some of you grew up maybe in like kind of hyper charismatic environments and there was so much talk of the Holy Spirit and nothing else. And maybe for some of you, and I I know this feeling where the church can talk about the Holy Spirit and the longing for God so much that it kind of leaves people empty. I, I get that. But I've just been sensing, like for our community, though we love the scriptures, theology, we love worship, one of the things that should be at the center and the forefront of our community is the Spirit of God walking with him, him coming alongside of us. And my my brothers and sisters, this can be done. This can be done. We can fight the disoriented desires in our lives. We can combat the flesh. This is why we're big on the spiritual disciplines and the spiritual practices. I believe everything we say, everything we do, every practice we do forms and shapes us into the image of Christ. It forms and shapes us as followers of him. And so this is big. As Screwtape would write to Wormwood, let's let's subtly get them to be vain in their sexuality, in their, their, their opinions, in their power, in their money and everything. We are these people that say, no, 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 there's actually a counter way to which the enemy wants to work. And it is by living in the fruit of the spirit. That our lives would be these lives that would live in joy and peace and love and forbearance, kindness. It would be uh, the, the, the content of our lives on the outside would be the work of the spirit and I'm, I'm drawn to i'm drawn to screw tapes little subtle way where he says listen we can keep this guy this patient in the church but let let it become superficial right this is kind of their plan keep him in the church make him feel like he's kind of doing some good things but under it all everything is going the other direction And while I think being connected to a church community is beautiful and all of that, my hope and my prayer is that what we read here and what Paul leads us in as far as the fruit of the Spirit would be the things that would flow outside of us. And so, as we think, and I know, probably on the front of your mind, are the areas in which you failed. I know as I come to this and I think about it, I just think about my immediate failures. I think about my week. I think about some of the things maybe I've thought or said. Maybe some of the ways I've acted towards my children or my wife. She's in the balcony on the couch here. She's probably saying amen a thousand times. But I also think, 
God has given us a way in which we are to live. And God is calling us into life with him. And he wants us to counter this with life in the spirit. So my prayer for you, wherever you are, is we would be open, and I'm going to pray here in a minute, that we would be open to the Holy Spirit. And we would be open to going where he is going and leading us. Remember, the, the, the Spirit is the one that reveals Jesus. The Spirit is the one that reveals to us what the kingdom of God is like. And as you may face some of the challenges and some of the things that may feel like is sucking your attention, again, the gods and the idols of our day, we would be these people that would say, say Holy Spirit, where are you going and where are you leading? Because we want to walk and step with you. Are you with me? This is what it means to, to, to fight the flesh. This is what it means to oppose the adversary. The adversary wants nothing more than to destroy our lives. But I just hope this could be kind of a day as we've read through some of those quotes, just to go, you know what? This is a moment where we kind of put a stake in the ground, even though we're virtually and we're everywhere else. This could be a place in space where we would say, you know, we are these people that walk in the spirit. We will follow Jesus with heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this may be weird. We haven't done this, but I don't know if you just want to, wherever you are, just shut your eyes for a moment and maybe even just in a posture, open your hands to receive today. Because I think... Um, I, th I do think as I've been wrestling through this, God wants us to receive this morning. So let's just take a minute. I know some of you have kids around you and it's a little chaotic, I get it. But just take a moment. For many of you it's quiet, maybe it's not for you, but just receive. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive God's love. And just know, brothers and sisters, that anything the adversary would try to do in your mind, your emotions, your feelings, your attention, anything he would throw your way, God has given us his spirit. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would breathe on us. Breathe on this community in the battle that's raging for all of us, the temptation that rages in our lives for all of us, may we follow you. We need you, King Jesus, with what we do with our bodies, to what we do with our money, our time, to what we do with our relationships, we, we need you. God, I pray for our community that we would be people that would live in light of you and your work, but the fruit of the Spirit would abound in our lives. May Praxis and this community be a community of love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. May we be people of self-control. And as you've said in your word, there is no such thing. Against such thing, there is no law. God, I thank you for the Bible. I thank you for the Old Testament. But there, this is the law that you've written on our hearts, love following you, your spirit. Help us to receive this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, so much love to all of you, and um, 
I know in this time we don't take it for granted for you logging on and spending a few minutes with us and just journeying as a community. Um, we just love you guys so much. We're going to take a couple minutes and if some of you may be new. I know we get new people popping in every once in a while as well. We break down into groups and uh, we're going to take a moment just to break down. Why don't you say hi to somebody and uh, we have some great leaders in our community that would love to uh, pray for you so we'll, we'll do that now and just take a minute just to say hi we love you we cannot wait make sure if you want to join us next sunday evening to join us by registering at mypractice.church love you guys